Hi there, I'm Greg from Kapow. Visit us at kapow.com to check out our unique collection of everyday reusable products designed to help you do more with less. C-U-P-P-O-W.com. I'm Dave Arnold, host of Cooking Issues. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Sherry Bayer. We're coming to you live from Roberta's Restaurant in Bushwick, Brooklyn. It is Wednesday, May 25th. This is the 107th episode of the series, which is dedicated to behind-the-scenes talents in the hospitality industry. Today, my guests are two former music execs whose website has become a trusted source for restaurant reviews and eats. (laughs) And I will introduce them in a moment. First, as I do on every show, I will start out with my PR tip, then later we will have my speed round game, industry news discussion, solo dining experience, and the final question. As the founder of Bayer Public Relations, I'm going to tip the show off with my PR tip of the week. So today's tip is to form great partnerships. Identify people and businesses that fit with your mission and find ways to collaborate. Working with those who complement your skill set and naturally coincide with your beliefs will not only bring out your best game, but it will increase your chances of creating memorable and effective brands. So partner up wisely. That's my tip today. Now, I'm thrilled to have both of my guests here in the studio. They are Andrew Steinthal and Chris Stang, the co-founders of The Infatuation, Restaurant Reviews for the People. Their website and mobile app started in 2009 simply as two guys who wanted to help their friends not only find great restaurants, but the right restaurant to suit their needs on a particular evening. Andrew, who is in charge of partnerships, likes cereal, ice cream, and sneakers way more than the average person. And Chris, the CEO, spends most of his time writing and is the creator of a fake dinosaur that gives you restaurant recommendations. So welcome. Put it on our tombstones. That's it. That's all you need to know about us. <laughs> these are these are, um, yeah. These might have been my favorite uh, bios to read, even <laughs> though we could have gone much more serious. And oh, I would like to talk about your past before the infatuation sure. because you, you did have incredible titles in uh, the music industry. So yeah, no, I mean we like the uh, less serious, more fun route. That's kind of why we're here, I guess. You know. Yes. So um, so. Well, thanks for coming out. Thanks for having us. It's really interesting to see all the people that are just like turning up and day drinking in, at Roberta's on a Wednesday. What do people do in Bushwick? They just hang out and get tattoos and there's, drink. Well, there's a bunch of margaritas being consumed back in the back here. I was I was noting for the show that there wasn't anyone in in this area right now, but typically or a lot of times it's full. So yeah. well, it's um, nice out. So there's people outside. Yeah, yeah. I don't know what four o'clock on Wednesday these people are not working is what they're doing, <laughs> which is great. Yeah, no, it's fabulous being in the back of Roberta. So, well, thanks for having us. Well, my pleasure. So, okay, so you're two music guys. How did you meet, and uh, what were you doing before you started the infatuation? Andrew tells the uh, how we met story better than anyone. Uh, we met. We were both music directors at our respective college radio stations when we were in college. I was at 
WICB in Ithaca. So these, you know, these, this whole radio situation. These contraptions back, are familiar bring, to bringing us. Back bringing memories. back fond memories. And, and Stang was at KCSU, Colorado State, and we both ran the, we were both music directors, and we talked to all these people in the industry all the time. As they, like back then, like you, people tried to get their records played on college radio, which was like they actually had staffs of people and, and like yeah, <laughs> they got paid to work <laughs> to do that. And uh, we both were in town for a CMJ music convention in New York City when we were it was probably like the year 2000 or so. And uh, we both got the same call from a guy that we both knew that was like, hey, I've got a couple tickets to TRL today. Would you like to come? And uh, this was like... Carson Daly's heyday right. and Destiny's Child was the guest. Chubby Carson Daly. Chubby Carson Daly. Hey, I remember. Yeah, and and we met on set at TRL. They sat us next to each other right behind Carson and we were immediately removed at the first commercial break because we weren't freaking out enough. But uh, we we became fast friends. You know, the music college radio industry was, you know, like I don't want to say nerds, but it's like you know the typical like indie music kids, and we were more the most we were the more social of the group, so yeah. we sort of connected because we were both like, oh, cool, yeah, and let's then have we, beers. Yeah, we proceeded to go drink a lot of beers and decided that we were going to attempt to take over the music business together when we got out of college, and the rest is kind of history. Well, you both spent about a dozen years in the music industry. Yeah. I mean, I had here. Your last titles, Andrew, VP of PR at Warner Brothers Records, and Chris, VP of Marketing at Atlantic Records, which are sound like really amazing titles and, and you know, big positions. Yeah, um, yeah I mean, look, you we, did well. Yeah, we did. We, we were both, you know, we were both very driven, but also I think like, you know, those were both our dream jobs to some extent. So once you kind of get in there and then, you know, just like anything else, you just start to start to put one foot in front of the other. And we ended up both at companies and uh, working for people that we really loved and working with great artists and doing, you know, great things and, you know, loved our jobs, but, um, also had this other thing that was de- developing and, you know, starting to become something that took a lot of our time and, um, you know, eventually led us out of it. But yeah, we, we, we had, we both had great runs in the music industry for sure. Yeah. We always wanted to do something together. Like we wanted to have something that was our own. Like we had the entrepreneurial spirit, mm-hmm. like from day one, you know, when we first met, we were like, yeah, let's, let's do this. You know, we, we didn't know what this was going to be. We knew we were going to, we wanted to be in the music business. And, you know, I think both of us from a really young age were kind of on that path, um, in, in music. And that was really what we, what we wanted to do and then you know you kind of got in the music business a little bit and our first initial was like thing was like oh we're gonna start a record label and then you kind of get in the record label side of business and you're like oh this is a horrible idea <laughs> you know like yeah 2000 now we're in publishing <laughs> even better no. yeah. um but uh yeah we just kind of ascended the ranks of the music business kind of living parallel lives we wound up working for the same parent company and you know very much had we worked we didn't really work together you know in the music business but we had similar, you know, we very small industry. So yeah. we kind of we work for the same parent company, Warner Music Group. I work for Atlantic, Andrew worked for Warner Brothers. But I mean, between those two companies, by the time we were done, it was only probably you know three hundred people altogether. So mm-hmm. we were both you know very much in the same circles, basically in the same circle or the same company. And what so. was interesting is that like you know Warner and Atlantic weren't necessarily like they were under the same roof, but they weren't really you know they didn't do a lot of stuff together ever and like my relationship with him actually led me to have a lot of really good relationships with people who worked at his label which then led my label to be like hey can you go get some info from them right which was really interesting because there was nobody else who could actually talk to like both labels regular you know like on side and it was it was just an interesting how it all kind of unfolded 
Yeah, absolutely. So on the side, you were doing, you started doing res- or restaurant reviews or people were coming to you. Yeah. You were the go, you've been the go-to for. I think we were bloggers is what people called us, okay. but I don't think we ever thought of it that way. Um, yeah, we just started, I mean, literally it was, the whole thing was born from the, the, the idea just that, you know, we, we didn't, we sort of didn't find anything we related to particularly. And, you know, in terms of like trying to just straight up decide where to go eat and find out about new stuff and you know sort of like uh we just kind of felt that there was an opportunity for something to exist for people like us meaning people that weren't the you know advanced foodie or like you know sort of like um elite consumer of food media right so you know we just knew a lot of people like us that were very interested in eating great restaurants and having great experiences but probably didn't know what severe was or have a bon appetit subscription and so we just kind of thought let's start writing some restaurant reviews and do it in a way that ideally is relatable and funny and fun and you know um sort of pointed at solving a problem for the right you know sort of circumstance right so differentiating between where to go on a first date with someone versus where to take your boyfriend or girlfriend of a long time because they're different needs so to speak so so yeah it really just happened 2009 we just published a handful of restaurant reviews on a poorly named blog called immaculateinfatuation.com, which, um, you know, I, we, once we put it out there, it pretty quickly started talking back to us, and that was all we really needed. Like, once that happened and people started sort of reaching out and saying they liked it, then that really kicked our sort of both, kicked us into gear in terms of like, okay, great, let's go get this thing, and like, let's let's build it and see what we can make of it, you know. Right, so you're doing it on the side, and then in 2000. 14 you went you went full you left your jobs is that is that right pushed all the chips okay. in, into the middle of the table yeah, yeah. and here we are yeah, yeah we did it for five years i mean we, we spent mornings nights days constantly like building this thing on the side for five years you know while we had full-time jobs thank you warner music group for giving us that luxury you know they were really our bosses were all really supportive of it and you know, it, it it actually made, I think, both of us almost better at our jobs in a way because all of a sudden we had an asset that other people wanted access to. And, you know, they knew that we were the people to turn to for some information and intel. And I was, you know, I had to say this a lot. Like, I, you know, I would always try and book my bands on, like, Late Night with Jimmy Fallon or Kimmel or whatever like that it's always it's usually a one-way street of like you asking for something from somebody else and then when people find out that you're the resource for all the best intel for restaurants they start hitting you up being like oh yeah by the way i need a restaurant to go to before bowery ballroom tonight what what do you got for me and it's like ah now i have something you want too which was great right yeah that makes sense and having a pr marketing background being able to do pr marketing now for yourself and what you're promoting i mean you know You've, you've done very well at that, um, getting the brand out there. And I've always been a fan. I mean, I, I yeah, think you're that, OG. <laughs> I you love were, it. You are. You were one of the first. You were super early adopter. Yeah. Well, love that. I'm proud of that. I've yes. I've always found your reviews to be um, a good a, uh, whether I, I I usually agree with them. And I find it's it is like my friend giving me advice and a place to go, which right. I think is the goal. So I, the goal. I was a fan just naturally of what you were doing and the situational <laughs> type of rec- recommendations. And you even have one like what I do. My, I call it solo dining. You do dining solo. Yeah. So but it's like you, you give people um, uh, the categories of things they're looking for, you know, in a restaurant. And um, it's very useful. Thank so. you. Yeah, I mean, we were. I definitely think there's a lot to be said just for the fact that we had some mar- some marketing and 
promotional backgrounds because I think it's sort of we always joke there's no 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 better way to learn how to do marketing for free than to work in the music industry. Um, but uh, yeah, we we definitely just I mean if we really felt passionate about what we were doing and felt like there was a, an audience for it and that kept proving to be true every month that went by and so that that was all we needed in terms of motivation and then we just really put our heads down and, and built as much as we could for five years and like Andrew said we were lucky that our company and the people at the company were supportive and enthusiastic about it and that afforded us the time and, and freedom that we needed to grow it and you know then the stars kind of aligned and we just felt okay like we're ready to go and went full time in April of 2014 so two years ago which is it's crazy you know it feels like a long feels time. like a decade but um but like, yeah it, it was a it's that part was an interesting chapter and now we're sort of in a different chapter but it's all been it's all been pretty amazing yeah well want to dive into more about where you're at now and how you got there so we're gonna take a little break and come back stay with us this is all in the industry on heritage radio network cups every year. A lot of those cups will still be around long after you're dead. Kind of dark, I know, but I'm Greg from Kapow and we decided to do something about it. We created the only glass travel mug that's 100% US made. You can check it out alongside our complete line of everyday reusables at kapow.com. C-U-P-P-O-W.com. Welcome back to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm Sherry Bayer. My guests today are Andrew Steinthal and Chris Stang, the co-founders of The Infatuation, restaurant reviews for the people. So let's talk how you've grown The Infatuation um, with partnerships and what's been your business model? Like, what's how have you gone about Dollar this? bills. I was hoping you could tell us. <laughs> I was hoping you could tell me. <laughs> no, we definitely, we definitely, young Steinthal here is... Yeah. Getting things done. Look, from day one, we've always looked at brand partnerships in two ways. In the beginning, it was like we just wanted to align with the right brands and use them as marketing. Um, but even from the early days, we were trying to hustle them for money, you know? And, like, we always knew that if we built a strong enough brand, uh, we'd be worth something, right? And, like, we knew from the beginning that we were never going to be this, like, content monster news site and try and compete with like these massive websites that do tons of page views and run their business off the back end of banner ads and video and like all this all these things that you know we as a two-person squad were not going to be able to really compete with initially you know initially <laughs> well, well not, initially like at least yeah. you know even just thinking about trying to build something like that was there were so many other things like that you know so we wanted well and to- also just to the not to get too sidetracked but we just also knew that like for what we did which is like you know write restaurant reviews and try and lead people to experiences and try and have like 
a level of trust behind that, that volume is sort of the enemy of that in terms of creating great content. There's just no way you can create 10 posts a day of great content. And so I think we were always a little bit wary of getting into that, that game because I, you know, we would sit there and talk about it. Like what, how in the world do you do restaurant reviews and guides at a, at a pace like that and not lose the quality, you know, by the nature of needing to meet volume. So but it was always, you know, even to Andrew's point, like, I don't even know that we were that prescient in the beginning, but we definitely just, to, the biggest thing for us has always been just build a brand and then figure out what, how that translates into value for our readers and our, you know, users and for then yeah. brand partners. Yeah. And look, we, you know, cut to now, like we're, we do big brand partnerships with American Express and Samsung and Bravo and Jameson and Budweiser. And, you know, we work with really big brands and we basically... You know, we do content for the web, content for social, content for you know any of the any of the platforms. You know, we we are powered by content. We are you know we're a next generation content company, sort of. But you know, we we have all these different areas that we deliver content through. You know, obviously Instagram's a huge huge place for us. We have you know now almost twenty accounts that we run, and we do like almost. 80 million impressions a month across all of them. Um, and it's, it's <laughs> yeah. a lot. And like, we're doing a ton of stuff with Snapchat and you know, what we really do with brands is like, we're really good at understanding what's going to work for our audience using our voice via web, via social, and then also creating an experience offline for a brand. So, you know, it's kind of a combination of a bunch of things that's rooted in content brought amplified via social and then brought to life via some form of experiential like a good example um is like american express where you have a big deal with that we are basically on tour going around to nine different markets around the country doing um dinners we just did one in chicago this week where we took over a restaurant that we really like uh bought it out for the night and put 60 people in the room and created a really fun food drink photo booth experience type of situation for people to come and share around the idea of MX Gold and the fact that they're now accepting double points at restaurants and that this restaurant's great that we really like and talk about our journey to get there, talk about the chef's journey to get there and like how it all ties together and has a really good narrative and brings all the right people together. We put everybody in the, in the room and it's a really fun experience both for everybody involved, for us and also for the brand. So, and then like that's all tied in with like a piece of content in each market that they really want to be supportive of the celebrations. They want to be involved in that. And we did a whole guide to where to celebrate in Chicago and then we support it with social. So, you know, it's, it's integrated partnerships that are kind of three tiered a lot of the times, but uh, our, our general business model is content. Yeah, and I think like you can sort of use all these keywords to classify what it is and what you know what we do, and we get asked a lot of, uh, about it a lot. But I think like the thing that when you really just sort of like step back from it, it's just that we we know how to be creative and we know how to go and you know sit in front of a brand and say you know let us work within the context that we know how to work within and let's come up with ideas that we know will relate to our audience and it may look a lot different for American Express than it does for Samsung than it does for Budweiser but at the end of the day we just know that we are very good at walking in the door you know sitting down in front of a a company and saying here's how we think we can push your message across you know to our audience which is a very engaged um, you know desirable audience and so that's that's worked really well for us and as we've grown it's only gotten better obviously but we were to Anders point i mean we were doing 
you know, we were trying to get Whole Foods to sponsor an event, you know, in 2012 or 2010, I guess, actually. So we've been of the mind that we could make it work from a brand partnership model for really since the beginning. Like I've been hustling on Amex for five years before we got an actual deal with them, you know, like just trying to get in the door because that was such a dream partner for us and made so much sense. Um, but I think, when, you know, to Chris's point, also our audience, like our audience is a very valuable audience that you can't really touch in food by via any other media brand. Like we have a young female leaning millennial audience mm-hmm. that is, you know, that is not necessarily the like super foodie audience. It's more of like the, you know, the regulars out there, you know, and that, that's a good, you know, point about us too is like, you know, we don't represent the industry. We don't represent the chef community or whatever. We, we represent the average diner, you know, and that's the perspective that we have on all of the content that we, that we do. And we just try and be useful for the everyday diner so that, you know, our audience is getting a lot out of our content. And we take that same strategy with all our branded stuff is like, we just want to make sure that whatever we're doing, whether it's on social or on the web or, or in real life is something that like people are going to come to read or experience and be like, damn, that was awesome. You know, and, and they would want to use it. Yeah, no, it's it's awesome. And everyone now is taking photos of their food. I mean, the, the millennial generation, they're all into food. So oh, you're crazy. You're, you're yeah, audience we started is, that. Yeah, well, <laughs> that, that's so that brings me to my question that eats yeah. with five well E's done. for people who don't know what I'm talking about. Eats. Yeah. We usually take it an octave lower. Yeah, but that's I was cool. going higher. I, like, I, like I don't know. I don't no, know. I like for it. me, it was working higher. We'll do like a harmonizing thing. <laughs> we could. Yeah. So, for people who don't know, this is a hashtag with five E's, spelling eats, and it's... Did you had, have any idea it would no. blow up as big as it has? No. I mean, no. It was, it was actually really phenomenal, the kind of the way it all played out, but I, we just wanted, we, were, we were just trying to create something that we could, you know... We always looked at Instagram, even in the, as it, you know, it was pretty early on, but we always looked at it as a place that we could build community rather than just, we never wanted it to be a one-way conversation. We didn't want to just like post photos and have people like them or comment on them. We wanted to make it a discussion and we wanted to build community on the platform. And so we started out by doing just little hashtags that we would do contests around. So like one of them was like still summer and it was September and we were like, take pictures of summery food that you're still eating. And that would work really well. And people would sort of tag stuff. And we, we really saw that as a an effective way to just engage with people on the platform. And then, so as we were doing more of it, we just realized that we needed one hashtag that we could use to sort of galvanize the community around. Um, and it was a pretty easy discussion about it. It certainly couldn't be like infatuation grams or like, you know, something to, <laughs> it could have, but it could, it should, it could have been, but it should not have been. And, and I think that was the biggest thing is we were just like, you know, what's something that, what's something that people actually have fun using mm-hmm. and, and eats is like, it's just like a silly sort of like, you know, our whole thing was just like, let's, let's make it very clear that we don't want people to take this too seriously because it's photos of food and half of them are terrible. Right. So, and I think that's honestly what, what hit a nerve with people is that it was, it's fun. Right. And, Mm -hmm. and, and we would then, you know, we also worked really hard at making sure that it, that it was a community and every, you know, even up until we had like a couple hundred thousand uses of the hashtag, we were still in there liking and commenting on people's photos that used it. The amount of time that we put into liking, commenting, personalizing, really trying to make that connection. Cause a lot of time what was happening is that like you, people would start seeing the hashtag, they'd start using it and they would have no idea who we were. So we would interact with all the people we spent 
I mean, hours right. a day. Just yeah. like, and it's, it's time consuming. It's time consuming, yeah. but like, it's so that's, worth it. That's the secret sauce of like, you know, people talk about building a brand and connecting with an audience. And like, if you're willing to put in the work and you're ready to have a conversation with people, it all comes down to building that community. And like, that's why, you know, look, we met you on Twitter, like in 2009. Like, we definitely did. Yeah. We and, did. you know, we met a lot of people on Twitter who became our real life friends and like, that was, it all started on Twitter. We spent hours on Twitter hopping into conversations when we were brand new with anybody who was talking about restaurants that we were fans of. We would like tweets. We would jump in conversations like, I love Momofuku pork bun too. Like whatever, mm-hmm. you know, like whatever. Yeah. Like we would just get in there and like really start engaging with people. And that was the beginning because, you know, ultimately people just want to be talked to sometimes, you know, and like yeah, not just want to be a part of something yeah. too. Yeah. So like to, as a brand to like offer that two-way conversation has been huge for us and we really still try and focus on that as much as we can but but ultimately to answer your question i don't think i mean i i I think we knew that we were building a community but you know now there's like two and a half million people that have used or you know it's been used two and a half million times and i somebody came up to us not that long ago and was like oh you guys started the eats thing i thought that was just like tbt which is so crazy that that sort of has become right it's become part of the language of the platform and Mm -hmm. That's really cool, but but for us, what ended what it ended up doing was it made us a globally recognized entity rather than just like this New York thing, uh, because that all happened really we blew up on Instagram before we even had content in any other cities. So it actually afforded us an opportunity to start to plan our growth because we were we had people following us and engaging with us from around the world. So once we started thinking through like okay, let's start launching new cities people would send in applications and resumes just because they knew us from Instagram. And that was really, really powerful and um, definitely, you know, game changing for us. Let's talk a bit about Tex-Rex, the dinosaur. Sure. Cause that's your, that's, uh, well, that's the you, next frontier. Yeah. Yeah. Put in your own words. Yeah. It's the next frontier. I mean, that wasn't, look, this has been another for us example of, um, you know, the power of community, but, uh, the text rex idea really happened. It's funny now because messaging is such a hot topic and everybody's building bots and all that stuff. But, um, you know, it was like April, March and April of last year. And we just started talking about like being frustrated with the newsfeed algorithm for Instagram and Twitter for what it's worth. There's not a lot of average people on Twitter anymore, just talking to each other. And so, and Instagram obviously is really powerful, but, we just sort of had this desire to reconnect with our core users and just have a better like line, you know, a channel into our most dedicated audience that, you know, read our emails, you know, but email is not a good two way conversation in that sense. Right. So really wanted to reestablish something that we thought could be another place to have a direct line to our audience and didn't really know what that would look like, but did have an indi- sort of, I always had this sort of instinct that like, you know, we have all this content that's tagged very well, right? So every review, there's a thousand reviews in New York and every review is tagged with a neighborhood, a a cuisine, and then a couple of what the restaurant's quote unquote perfect for, which turns out to be pretty queryable information, right? So um, messaging just seemed to be an interesting way that we could not only, you know, reconnect or or connect deeper with our audience, but also then provide this interesting service that's on almost like on-demand search. And so not having any idea how to do that really, or if anybody would want it, but feeling like, you know, had a hunch, uh, I went and bought an iPhone at the Apple store and connected it to iCloud and then, you know, had someone drop a dinosaur and put it in our newsletter and launched Textrex, not having any clue kind of what we were going to do and just sort of hoping that I, you know, we sort of thought one of two things would happen. Either a ton of people would want it immediately and then we would figure out how to build it or like make it happen. Or nobody would want it, and we would call it a marketing stunt and walk away. But 
within two hours, we had like 5,000 people signed up for it on the waiting list and realized that we were very poorly prepared for that. But um, we've since, you know, figured out how to do it. And we have a huge audience of people in New York that love it. And we've just, the passion around it is incredible. And um, it really just opened our eyes up to the fact that people want to interact with us like this Mm -hmm. and that, you know, sometimes it is like what easier way to find something than just to text some, someone and say, hey, I'm in Minneapolis or, you know, talking bigger picture, but I'm, I'm in a city and I don't know it that well. Tell me where to go. And um, that idea of on-demand search has been really powerful. And so we, we, we came at it from the perspective of it has to be it has to be people. Right. Like we didn't not that we could have built some sort of like, you know, um, restaurant recommending robot on our own but we just really thought like this if this is going to be this is going to feel like us if it's going to be on brand it has to be fun and personable and you know useful but you know it has to feel like a friend like you were even that's always been our sort of main core value is that we just want to feel like something that people relate to and connect to so yeah, now we have a huge team of contractors that basically respond to people as they text in. You're always, whenever you're texting with Textrex, you are talking to a person on the other end. Um, and we have, you know, a platform that helps us manage the workflow and we are able to serve a ton of people at once. And it's really changed. Again, it's changed our company and it's changed the way that we are delivering content to people. And it represents a big, you know, the future for us in a lot of ways. So it's it's a, it's a, it's a very... Um, it's early days in the text rec story and there's a lot we still have to figure out, but we're, you know, we just, we have something we know that people want and use. I think you, are I you used it. it. I've uh, yes. I, I forget. I have it. I should use it more, but I remember I was in Dumbo. We gotta get, no. we gotta get better about that. Well, I was in Dumbo and I was like, I was, it was a spontaneous move too. It was the mm-hmm. weekend train brought me. I don't know. I was, I was just, it was, I was on a spontaneous afternoon and all of a sudden I was like, where should I eat? And I texted it and it was like, gave me a couple of rest- it him or her the it, person him, her, the dinosaur i texted yeah. the dinosaur yeah. the dinosaur got back to me right away with Good. recommendations it was very cool yeah. yeah i mean it really is like we it's really cool because we people are hilarious like they like we'll just get people texting us being like what's up and you're like hey like, yeah. what's going on nothing <laughs> but it's right i, I think it's, it's just friend. Yeah, and, and we try to we really try to make it fun. You know, people attack, we we sort of at the beginning decided that when people were texting us that we were just going to be as close to a friend as possible. So people would text in and be like, "Hey, I'm looking for like a great healthy restaurant that's not a chain that's cheap in the middle of Midtown." And we'd be like, "So are we? It doesn't exist." <laughs> and at first, people would be like, "Wait, what?" But that's the stuff that would always earn their trust. And so, um, you know, now we have people that have planned their breakups on it. They've planned their proposals on it. They have, you know tried to yeah. tried to date it they have you know you name it but it's it's been really cool and it's just been a, it's been a real um gets a little wild on friday nights yeah it does but it's it's again so anyway it, it became <laughs> this place that we we have a better <laughs> understanding of our yeah. audience now from it and it, it's just been really cool and um, we feel like there's a lot of opportunity to to grow it and to continue to yeah. evolve the business you know in that way i see that Okay, let me ask you my question from last week. I had on Herb Carlitz. He's the CEO and the founder of Carlitz and Company. He is also the co-founder of Harlem Eat Up, which was this past weekend. So he wants to know where you fall with stubborn chefs, chefs who insist that the customer has to eat things their way and aren't open to any changes. He also noted that he's a big fan of what you're doing. What's up, Herb? Thanks. Um, I don't know that we have like a general like uh, position on stubborn chefs. I think that the more that... I mean, we certainly are not the kind of people to tell chefs what they should or shouldn't be doing. But I think that we've just learned, especially through like text recs, like 
you just have to like pay attention to what people want. So if people are in your restaurant and saying like, we want this more than once, you should probably pay attention, but uh, you know, to each their own. Yeah. Okay. I got, I got nothing. All right. That's look, I think cool. like, look, you, if you're at the point okay. in your career yeah. in life where you're running your own restaurant in New York city, you are well within your rights to tell people they can't take the, uh, the uh, blue cheese the, off the burger, the foie gras foam off the thing you put foam on, but yeah, but uh, but I do think it's just we we've just found that like it's super important to listen to people because they will tell you what they want, you know. And people are picky. Yeah. They are picky. in general, like you yeah. know, obviously a lot of people. There is a certain segment of the population that's down to eat anything and and be whatever, but there are way more people who are more selective about what they eat, especially with all these different diets going on right now, and like. Yeah. Just people in general who are picky too. Like I'm a picky eater. Like I don't, there's a lot of stuff that I don't like. And I've got to the point where I, I will not ask for many substitutions anymore ever pretty much, but like, I'll just avoid the stuff that I don't want and keep it moving. But there's a lot of people who aren't like that. Yeah. I'm I'm the former. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. We're going to take another break and come back. We're going to play my speed round game. Talk some industry news. This is only industry on heritage radio network. This is All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm Sherry Bayer. My guests today are Andrew Steinthal and Chris Stang of The Infatuation. It's time for my speed round game. What this is is I name a couple things, either or type situation, and you just pick your preference. Great. Great. Here we go. Eat in or eat out? Out. What does that mean? Okay, out, yeah. <laughs> like you go out like to dinner? Like in where? Like, like in, in a restaurant? Apart- yeah, in your apartment. Is that well? Is eating in a restaurant in or out? That's out. In out. Yeah, eating out is like eating in out. is eating at home. Oh. Yeah. I think. I thought we were talking like dine in or take out. We'll anyway, take out. I don't, I don't want to. The beauty this. of this game is you can interpret it how you right, how yeah. you want. So out. that's a new one. I Let's love do this out out out. Okay, wine, beer, cocktail, or mocktail. Mocktail. Oh. Wow. Uh, I'm a wine guy. Yeah, I'm gonna go with a beer. Tasting menu or a la carte? Tasting menu. Likewise. Okay. <laughs> Give me all the Depend, tastes. Depends on how much money That's like, true. we have. Like, That's true. It's not like we're out there eating tasting menus. You're working with night. Amex. I'm, um, yeah. yeah. Dude, that's, that's going into business <laughs> yeah. here. Yeah. Okay. Small plates or large plates? Large uh, plates. Large. Let's go large. Communal table or chef's counter? Chef's counter. Agreed. Tipping or all-inclusive charge? Regardless, doesn't matter. Yeah. Money's money. Instagram, Twitter, Snapchat, or Facebook. Snaps. I'm having a good time on Snapchat these days. Yeah. I was following your Air Airbnb uh, marathon. Oh, yeah. oh, you did? Yeah. Cool. Yeah, it was cool because pulled... I'm I'm I, I'm new on Snapchat. It's fun. Once you, it takes a second to get into it, but once you get yeah. into it, Snapchat's really fun. Welcome. Yeah. Thank you. 
Okay, for Andrew, golden grams or honey bunch of oats? Oof, that's tough. I mean, golden gram, I've been on a huge golden grams kick lately, like just crushing boxes. <laughs> and uh, I'm on, I, yeah. Like honey bunches of oats is like all the time. Golden Grahams is special occasion. There's just been a lot of special occasions lately. I love the passion for cereal that you have. Yeah. yeah. Okay, Chris, charcuterie glove or seahorse sashimi? <laughs> oh, man, do not eat seahorse. It is terrible. <laughs> Meat Never glove. had it. Oh, it's really the, okay. just uh, terrible, terrible. That's a great, terrible... great underfinger reference. Right yeah, that's yeah. well done. Thank you. It was a great article. Thank you. <laughs> Two more, cheese plate or dessert? A dessert. Cheese plate. Manhattan or Brooklyn? Manhattan. Yeah. All right, that's the game. That's the game. Yeah. Do we win? Did we win? You win. Oh great! You won. You oh, won. So excited. Yeah, yeah. Everyone's a winner. Do we, where, do we win a tasting menu at Roberta's? Mm-hmm. We'll see if I can work that out. Sweet. We're drink a mocktail outside. <laughs> okay, we came to Roberta's after we ran the Brooklyn Half Marathon this weekend. We've now been here twice in the last week, which yeah. is it's, it's a good place to be. Yeah. Okay, so industry news. We're a little short on time. I don't know. Maybe we'll talk about this one: the Open for Business by Open Table. I don't know if you saw this. That. Yeah. They're 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 testing out in Chicago um, to provide that you can book seats at the bar. So this is an article on their blog um, by Olivia Terenzio, and basically it's it's that that their reservation system they're they're, they're making available at restaurants that you can reserve bar seats. So I'm, that. I'm very against that personally. Really? I mean, I, I love sitting at the bar. No, me too. But I think like the the thing of the thing about I mean, listen great if these restaurants make more money that way wonderful but like the thing about the bar is that that's the one like access point you can have if you can't get into a restaurant you can go try and hit the bar and so if that becomes then also like unavailable real estate that's a bummer because there's plenty of amazing restaurants that my first meal in them was just rolling up to the bar and so like upland the first time i went to upland i just sat at the bar i got you know waited a little bit got you know sat the bar had an amazing meal and then you know that would that wouldn't have maybe been so easy had it yeah an open table when thing. I initially saw it, I was excited as someone who dined solo a lot. I thought it was really cool that because mm-hmm. I love sitting at the bar. Um, but then I had the second thought of being, well, it's what about all the walk-ins and being yeah. accessible? Well, so, have you ever been to yeah. a restaurant in which the bar is booked? Like, it's always a, I've done that before. I've walked into a restaurant and I thought, like, oh, great bar seats, and they're like, no, no, no sir, those are reserved. And then yeah. you're kind of like, well, that's stupid. Well, maybe seems like it's a limited lose, amount. And it seems like that might make you lose money, too, because then you're walking out of that restaurant and not even buying a drink to hang out. Maybe. I mean, the thing in that article I thought was interesting, it was like, if you're going to then sort of, like, book that as a, as a seat, at the, as though it was any other seat in the restaurant, like, can you still deliver whatever the diner's expectation is at the bar. I personally, like, have always loved eating at the bar more than, because I just think bartenders are, like, great, and they're usually really good at dealing with people. And But some people may not be really ready for, like, maybe you don't even, you're not even super aware that you book two seats at the bar, then you get there and you're like, wait a minute, I'm, right. I'm by the door, this is terrible or whatever. So, I don't know. It'll be interesting to see if that actually works. I have a hard time believing it would be super successful here, but who well, knows? I'm no just, expert. Yeah. We'll see. I think they said so far it was going well, but they're just testing it right now yeah. at a couple of restaurants. So, okay. Um, before we take another break, I'm just gonna give a little shout out to Heritage Radio Network because we got our first national coverage on TV this week on CBS This Morning. It was an episode titled "Podcast Document America's Obsession with Food." It's a great segment. Nice. Um, you can find it. You can Google it. You can find it on our Facebook pages. And um, just congratulations. It was really cool. What up, Charlie Rose? Thanks for the love. (laughs) Yeah, no, it was a really great segment. Um, You know, 
So congratulations to to us, Dinner yeah. Radio. Okay, we're going to take one more break. I'm going to do my solo dining experience when we come back. So stay with us. This is All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. back to Only Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Sherry Bayer. It's time for my solo dining experience, which this week is at Agern. Here's the rundown. The location, 89 East 42nd Street in Grand Central Terminal's Vanderbilt Hall, New York City. The, the concept, a season-driven restaurant featuring farmed and wild ingredients from the New York region and honoring techniques and flavors rooted in Nordic cuisine. The owner, Danish restaurateur Klaus Meyer, who is the co-founder of Copenhagen's Noma and has been largely credited as the founder of the New Nordic Movement. The chefs, executive chef Gunnar Gislason, who's formerly of Dill in Iceland, and chef de cuisine Joseph Yardley, formerly of Acme in New York City. So why did I go? Because I went because this is a highly anticipated new restaurant would give me a taste for new Nordic Scandinavian fare and Noma, which is currently number three in the world's 50 best restaurant list without leaving New York City. And I was then thinking after I did this, this might be a little bit like underfinger too. I was going to say, <laughs> sounds like it. So my experience, I went as a walk-in on the early side of Friday night. I got a seat at the bar. Uh, the menu is pretty big. There's a la carte choices and two tasting menus. I went a la carte. I asked the bartender for some recommendations, and um, I had the opportunity to chat with the GM, Katie Bell. There was Lavina Lee, who I know, who's the hostess there, and Chef Gunnar I also saw. And I also did my first solo dining Snapchat while I was there. Nice. So, Yeah, but my thing with it is it disappears. That's my, you got to talk to me. You can download it, though. You I can. did, but it's like. But there's freedom in that. Yeah, but Just now, it, but now I'm fly. saying if you wanted to see it, like, you can't. Yeah, but you'll do more. Oh, uh, yeah, I know. Okay. Continuing on. <laughs> <laughs> so what did I get? I had the bitter salad with preserved blackberry, almonds, and havgas cheese, and the cod with potatoes, fennel, and nasturtium. There was also wonderful complimentary house bread and butter. My take, the bitter salad was not something I typically would order. It was lovely. Nothing bitter about it. The creamy cheese was a nice balance with the greens, which were actually purple. And the cod was perfectly cooked and a nice balance of flavors. I definitely recommend the the salad and the cod was, I'd recommend it too, but the salad, definitely. The ambiance. The space was beautiful, simplistic yet contemporary with pale woods and dangling string light fixture, fixtures. There's a small chef's area, which is the focal point of the room and the first thing you see when you enter, which I thought was cool. I think this is perfect for dinner with friends or colleagues before your commute home. Interesting tidbits. Acorn means acorn in Danish, which was the Vanderbilt family symbol seen throughout Grand Central Terminal. Opening soon adjacent to the restaurant is the Great Northern Food Hall, which Gunnar gave me a tour of after my meal. Personal fun fact, I met Gunnar a few years ago at the Roots Conference at the Chef's Garden in Ohio. This is his NYC debut. The cost was $54. That's not including tax, but it is including gratuity. This is a no-tipping restaurant. 
Would I go back? Yes, I would like to try one of the tasting menus. Their website is acornrestaurant.com. Interesting. I never even heard of that. Me either. I'm like, we're, we're now out, you of have. The, out of the mix. Yeah. You got to listen to all in the industry. I thought we were yeah, done yeah, with having, like, yeah. there's more people involved with Noma opening restaurants in New York City still. I mean. This is a big one. This We've is been like talking actually, about this a while. This is the actual guy from Noma opening The actual owner. So and all the, the other ones before this have been fake. Mm, yeah, I mean, I think they might have the, been chefs or sous chefs that worked there, but this is actually the the owner. This is the dude. This is the real guy. This is the real. This is the real deal. That's awesome. I'm gonna, we check that yeah, out. Yeah, I enjoyed it, and I do. I thought the space was was really nice. So. Cool. All right. Yeah, well, it's on the hit list. I need to hit up Chef Paulson and go for a trip. Yeah, <laughs> he's busy. He's very busy. Okay, let's do the final question. So next week, my guest is Chef Adam Leonte of the Bread Lab which is a test kitchen, classroom, and milling facility devoted to the final food frontier, grain. He's actually located right down the block here in Bushwick, too. Um, so, Andrew and Chris, what, what shall, shall we ask Adam? Final frontier. Why is huh? grain the final frontier yeah. of food? I, I saw that on, yeah, that's a good question. That's the, that is the question. I'm, that's, I'm terrified. <laughs> what does that mean? Well, I, I'll ask him. Find out, please. Okay. That's a good name, though. Ask him if, if his business is improving because avocado toast is so huge. I will ask him that too. And how's your Instagram at avocado in, toast? Yeah. It's growing rapidly. Yeah, very fast. Oh, that's we just it, launched impressive it. that you have that one. Yeah, it's a, it. that is actually the Instagram final frontier. Yeah, that is, that's avocado our last toast. one. We're done. Oh, I don't know if this avocado toast is going to last. Like it's all going to collapse in on itself. Here's the thing about avocado toast, though. I kind of love it. Does that make me really basic I and a horrible person? No, like, I keep. I find myself ordering it constantly now, and I, I just really like it. I like it too, but I always feel like this is something I could really easily do at yeah, home. Yeah, I make it at home. For, you know, I don't for, tend to order it out all that much because I make it yeah, at home. I feel you, but it's not like expensive. It's expensive compared to buying an avocado and a, and yeah, having a slice a, of bread. Yeah, yeah. Any kind, any kind of cooking <laughs> for me is difficult. Like every time I buy an avocado, but what about I smash fail, it? You can smash, and that's terrible, all you're doing. But I'm just not good at it. All right. I'd rather just eat somebody else's. See, it's pay. the final frontier. This is it. This is where we. This is what it all, all led right, up to. I'm going to challenge, challenge it with and it. That's over. And I bet you're right. <laughs> okay, and that's the show. Great. Thank, Thank you very much. For Thank us. you guys for coming out Anytime. here. It's been yeah. a pleasure to have you out. Talk to you. I will continue to watch. See you on the internet. Continue to eat and continue to text Rex and all the above. Thank you. So my guests today has have been Andrew Steinthal and Chris Dang, the co-founders of the Infatuation Restaurant Reviews for the People. Their website is theinfatuation.com. You can find them on social media at infatuation, at shmooey, and at House of Stang. Am I missing anything? No, you got it all. Okay. Checked all the boxes. You can find me at Sherry Bayer, at Bayer PR, at All Industry. My Facebook page is All in the Industry. My websites are bayerpublicrelations.com and sherrybayer.com. If you, if you miss any of our live shows, you can find them archived on heritageradionetwork.org. They are also on Stitcher and iTunes. Thanks to my engineers, David and Pierre. And thanks again to Andrew and Chris. I'm Sherry Bayer. I'll be back next Wednesday at 4 o'clock with another live show. Thanks for being part of All in the Industry. Bye. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. 
You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening. Ain't no reason to worry about what